Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello, this is Eric Eastep. And I'm Scott Reevely. And this is the City on a Hill podcast. Welcome back. I do want to start out with, uh, I believe it was two episodes ago, we talked about religious tests and we were talking about uh, swearing on a Bible. And we asked the question, has any um, elected representative ever not sworn on a Bible or something else? And our faithful listeners sent in, uh, a listener sent in an article that mentioned that two members of Congress had taken the oath of office on the Quran. So, Thank you for sending that our way. That's helpful. Um, and just a reminder to everyone, you can send emails to us at comment at cityonahillpodcast.com. That is super helpful, and we're just glad to have that little response in that article. It was in the, the world.org, so that's what they sent over. I think we also learned that uh, Teddy Roosevelt didn't use a uh, Bible when he was sworn in. What did Teddy Roosevelt use? I, I don't know that he used anything. <laughs> But we, that that came up later than our podcast. So oh, nice! I did I did not. Anyway, I heard. Now I know too. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but we're not talking about religious tests. We're going to talk about instead religious liberty because I just finished a book, um, Liberty for All, by Andrew Walker, uh, defending everyone's religious freedom in a pluralistic age, and I thought it was helpful. It was a good book. Um, would recommend checking it out if you are at all interested in religious liberty, why it's why it's a helpful component to the way we're organized in this country. Um, but it was a good book, and I want to talk about it. We'll put so, a link in the show notes. Yeah, perfect. Um, I think we should start with the definition of religious liberty. Let's do that just to level set for everybody. Um, Andrew Walker uses this definition in the uh, beginning chapter of the book, page 10, if you're keeping notes at home. Religious liberty is the principle of social practice wherein every individual, regardless of their religious confession, is equally free to believe or not to believe, probably a key distinction there, and to live out their understanding of of the conscience's duty, individually and communally, that is owed to God in all areas of life without threat of government penalty or social harassment. So um, one of the things I kind of went into the book with is religious liberty is uh, one of the components of our system, which is kind of a response out of the Enlightenment. Um, so really, I was looking at religious liberty more as a Enlightenment principle, um, uh, in, in almost an individualistic principle, um, freedom of conscience type principle. And Andrew Walker's main argument was that this is not just... Uh, a remnant of the Enlightenment, and we have it, and it's there, and any time we need to defend it, we need to defend it on Enlightenment's grounds. His was more theological. We need to talk about religious liberty and support it on theological grounds, which I thought was super fascinating. Well, I mean, that makes me want to ask, does it matter? If you can defend it, does it matter that you defend it on theological grounds or on Enlightenment grounds? I think the—that's a good question. I think the— the emphasis with which you would defend it would change. Uh, because if if it's just an enlightenment principle, um, I see I, even when I just said they're just, 
um, you defend it for different reasons. This is uh, something we have put together because of a emphasis on secular society. So we're going to defend this this component of secular society. Um, I'm going to defend that far less rigorously than if it is a component of my theological understanding. Okay. I think the other, I mean, I guess the reason I asked the question in part is because you might be defending it to people who will hear an argument from enlightenment mm-hmm. better than they'll hear an argument from theology. Yeah. But uh, I suppose if you make up for it with uh, gusto, because it's theological, perhaps that uh, that will help your um, debate. Maybe I don't. Well, know. and that's a good point too. Like, wh- who's your? Who is the? Con- what is the context? Right. Who are you talking to? Um, if generally we are talking to Christians about okay. um, why we should do certain things, or trying to persuade them in a particular direction, um, theological grounds is going to be far more helpful in that regard if I'm just talking to a neighbor that has no desire to engage in Christianity at all, um, but re- religious liberty would still be helpful, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to talk about the Enlightenment side of things. Mm-hmm. So know your audience, and um, and I think the author knew his audience, and it wasn't everybody, it was okay. it was me. <laughs> okay. Well, so. it was you as a pastor mm-hmm. more than you as a candidate. See, that's, that, a, that's, why, I'm at, that's yep. why I asked the question is, I'm thinking of debates that you might likely have, and this this helps you, you know, helps ground you in mm-hmm. religious liberty, mm-hmm. but probably isn't fodder for that debate. Right. It's more to really help you be grounded and help. Right. And that, but again, that's you know the target for our podcast are Christians who mm-hmm. are wanting to be grounded in how do we uh, understand the world and how right. does the church interact with these kind of issues. So he's writing to our audience as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And look at, Scott's just looking out for me when I'm not even looking out for myself. I didn't have any of that in mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, but yeah, do do remember that, guys. When you're talking to someone, re- understand what audience you're talking to, because you're going to use different arguments, um, different uh, speech, different language to talk to different people, and that's always going to be helpful. So he talks about theological reasons, um, and he has three big reasons um, for religious liberty. Uh, his first is eschatological, or in talking about the eschatology or talking about the end times, there's, a, um, there's an, uh, an eschatology reason that we have religious liberty. His second was anthropological, um, or when we're talking about the study of man, the study of who we are as people. Um, there's a reason for religious liberty in that realm, and then also missiological. Um, or what is the church doing on mission? There's a religious liberty reason for that. So those are his three big categories, and he walked through those in in the book. Pro- so, what, what are you laughing at me for? Well, I'm I'm not <laughs> laughing at you. I'm I'm I've just sort of discerned his um, target audience for his book when he uses big words like eschatology and missiology and uh, anthropology instead of just saying you know what uh, it has to do with. Uh, you know, the end times or the kingdom of God has to do with what we believe about human beings and it has to do with why we think the the, the Lord left us here. I mean, mm-hmm. you can use much smaller words and it right. turns out the same. Smaller <laughs> and more words. Yes, but that uh, that does kind of give you an in- insight into what right. he's aiming at. So, 
I always I always like using one word instead of four small words. But again, know your audience. And if you're if the number <laughs> of letters is the same, exactly. If the number of letters is the same, then I might prefer the small word. I get so much grief. Uh, not so much grief. Hello, Life Group. If you're listening to this, now, you don't give me too much grief. But often uh, in Life Group, I will use a word, a single word, where maybe three or four would be better heard, and I'll get grief from my Life Group for using words that. That are not often used. Well, clearly, they love you, <laughs> and they're going to help you with that. Yep, yep. They are helping me actively. <laughs> uh, so the first one, eschatology, or Jesus is coming back. We can just say it that way. Um, I, I thought this was really profound. He, uh, Aunt, uh, Walker talked about um, Jesus is the one, when he is sitting on a throne, he's the one who's going to judge who is right or wrong in their beliefs. And until that time... Um, we are in the era of religious liberty. We're in the area era of uh, kind of the, the right to be wrong, because we we're not God. We don't sit on the throne. We do not judge um, the conscience, and we're in this. I don't. I can't come up with the word like a, like a temporal time uh, before that occurs. And during this time, you get the right to be wrong. You get the right because we don't judge that, and a government for sure doesn't get to sit in the in the throne of God and decide who has proper belief or who doesn't, which is a reason to have religious liberty. Well, it's interesting to say that because there have been a number of governments that have tried to do that. Not recently. Maybe, well, recently, yeah. There still are state churches, oh, and yeah. there are, you know, I mean, the, our association with them went back to our resistance, um, our rebellion against England, but I... Um, the church and the state have been sort of married. At least there's been attempts to do that. And that's, you're saying that that doesn't belong to this period of time, basically. Mm -hmm. Because it's, because we kind of live in a now and a not yet thing where Jesus is inaugurating his kingdom, but it's not fully here. And so there needs to be some level of freedom because of that. Is Mm -hmm. that what he's after? Yeah. And, uh, Again, from a theological perspective, he notes, uh, we do not confuse the government's agenda with the church's mission. So I think any, especially if it's, a, if it's Christian in orientation, uh, a church and state coming together, if they are conflating those two things, um, they're confusing what's going on, and, and they will overemphasize um, the mission of the church with the tools of the state, which is... We, we talked about this so much on this podcast. Those things need to be separate because they're different mission. They're different, um, different tools, different ends. And uh, that, that is what lends itself to religious liberty. This is why we do this. We keep these things apart. So the government's not the church. So there should be religious liberty. And because of eschatology or because of missiology? You can tell I didn't read the book. So I'm... Well, but, yeah, we'll get to the missiology piece. Okay. Um, he says the political leader who is a Christian understands that their task is to rule justly in accordance with reason, wisdom, and moral righteousness, not to advance a Christian government. Um, so they may be part of the Christian mission somewhere else, and we can talk about that piece. Um, but the, the goal in the temporal state right now is not to enact the kingdom. Um, the kingdom's coming, and me legislating doesn't bring the kingdom. Um, and so you don't conflate those things. So, okay, again, I'm just going to try and press in here and understand. It has to do with authority. 
because mm-hmm. right now we're, we're between. You know, Jesus is um, establishing his kingdom, but it's not fully here. When he will one day have full authority to right. demand allegiance, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess right. that Jesus is Lord. But that's not now, and that's not the government's authority. That's Jesus's authority, which which I think is the main point. Okay. The one who who can um, demand the knee bow is Jesus, not the government. Okay. Does that make sense? That made a lot of sense. That, that like, just became clear to me. <laughs> I could push one of these buttons, yeah. but I don't know which one it is. <laughs> the angel sound. The angel sound. Um, here's another. Uh, the reality of a future kingdom advances the le- legitimacy of an era, an eschatological gap, in which individuals are permitted to engage in false worship without fear of government intervention because they don't have that authority and I think anytime we conflate those, it's because we're putting, we're a, the government is, an, is assuming an authority that only Jesus has. Here's how you all ought to think. Here's how you all ought to believe. I, I, I think, again, it's interesting. It says, permitted to engage in false worship without fear of government intervention. Now, what happens, I think, a lot is that people read their Old Testament, and there is false worship there that God cares very deeply about and comes after with judgment. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that that's not going to happen now, right? Even though I read it in my Bible, right? Because why? <laughs> um, well, you just said God was the actor there, not the government. And I think that's that's even a key distinction. A re- religious liberty is a um, is a principle that limits the government. It doesn't limit God. Okay, well, yeah, I was, I was thinking more Israel. Um, Israel was to care very deeply about idol worship and false worship. And that, I guess that's where I mm, was going theocratic with Theocratic Israel. Yes. Yes. In the Old Testament Israel. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that, that that kind of thing is not something for today. Yeah, we're definitely not a theocracy. Okay. So you're saying that some of the rules in the Bible don't apply to us? <laughs> Why do you laugh? I, I'm, I'm trying to... You read the book, man. I'm just trying to understand it. Yeah, I think we are in a different era. Um, and with, this is something we talked about in, in styles of government. This, we do not have any theocratic setups um, that are described, like those described in the uh, first five books of the Old Testament. Um, that was a particularly unique situation where God was directly involved with the rule of that state. Um, and we, we, we often talk about making sure you don't read in um, improper relationships when you go back in your Bible and, oh, this is what God says about nations. Uh, God put together a very specific relationship back then that— With the nation of with Israel. With the nation of Israel, yeah. with promise and covenant and um, uh, relationship that's— completely different than any country we have now. Um, and maybe more akin to the church, maybe more akin to the relationship he has as far as covenant and promises that he has to the church, um, but not in any, any governmental structure um, that we have now in this era. Well, uh, I ask the question in part because this is an eschatological reason. And we think of eschatology as last times, like you know the um, Left Behind movies or something. 
But I think what, what he has in mind when he's talking about eschatology is the, the current time, which is the last days, according to the New Testament, mm-hmm. that was inaugurated by the coming of Jesus. And so I think that's a, cl- that's a pretty big distinction that we are now in those last days inaugurated by the coming of Jesus. So an eschatological reason is good, as opposed to the Old Testament Israel, which was not in those last days because the Messiah had not come yet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the coming of Jesus is that defining mark between uh, the former days and the last days. Mm-hmm. And so the last days uh, meaning that an, a reason of eschatology would apply to us now, but not uh, to Old Testament Israel. Mm. Because that, they, weren't, they weren't in the last days. Right. So That's good. You didn't even read the book. Time to move on. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next reason? What's the next reason? Anthropology, or the study of man, or humanity. Um, and what, his point here, what we believe about the nature of humans drives what we believe about religious freedom. And he really pressed into uh, the fact that humans are made in the image of God. Humans bear a unique origin, and a unique design and purpose in its constitution, or humanity bears a unique origin, design, and purpose in its constitution, and the special ontological uniqueness of humanity and uniqueness of their capacities to constitute constitute themselves must be recognized. And basically what that means is we humanity, we're, we're different than animals. We're different than other parts of creation, um, mainly in that we are made in the image of God. We're made to reflect somehow who God is and what he's done. Um, and Part of that is our ability to reason. Part of that is our ability to think. Part of that is our ability to make decisions and um, uh, choose to worship God correctly or not. And w- one of his pieces was basically you don't, you don't coerce. You, you allow for that dignity. You allow for that um, ability in religious freedom. And you say you can make these choices um, rather than coerce someone and say, you have to go this direction, that would be to deny them their dignity to think or uh, make decisions or even if they're wrong decisions. Again, this, this whole religious liberty from, a, from, a Christ, from really any perspective is um, the right to be wrong. Like we're, we're in this, this temporal spot where we're waiting for Jesus to show up. And because someone is made in the image of God, um, giving them the ability to think and make their decision about who and what they will worship is uh, a means of confirming that dignity in them. Okay. So I'm going to ask a bunch more questions <laughs> here. I'm just going to, I'm just going to have your brace, Eric. So when you're talking about we have freedom because we're made in the image of God, is that because, you know, God is free and we're made in his image so that then we have freedom you should re- you should re-ask that. Uh, is is our freedom essentially part of the image of God? Part of the way that we reflect who God is is that we too are free. So the freedom, perhaps, but I, again, I, the religious freedom is a limiter on government, which I think is is the important piece here. Okay. Um, so th- uh, the government saying, "Hey, you need to think about God this way." would would limit the decision-making and um, reason of an actor so that they wouldn't be able to freely choose God if they wanted to. Because uh, we're, 
we're coercing a direction mm-hmm. um, in whatever whatever religious end. So, so it has more to do with respect and dignity of the human being. Yes. Uh, so that the government does not violate the respect and dignity of the human being mm-hmm. more than the the you know how the human being somehow reflects the image of God. Is that that in other words we reflect the image of God uh, because we and, and because we do we have dignity that's worthy of respect. And you're saying that uh, religious liberty for an anthropological reason is such that we don't um, we don't want to. Uh, disrespect people and mm-hmm. uh, uh, insult their dignity by make by coercing them to choose one way or the other religiously. Right? That's, yeah, yeah. That's I think that's right. Saying. Yeah. If you go back to your question, God is free. I don't think God and, and people are free in the same way. Right. So I'm that that's what kind of threw me off with the question. Okay. Um, it was meant to be tricky. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. What is this? <laughs> Eric will never read another book. You'll, this is no the more last book report you get. On. <laughs> well, in, in one of his, um, one of the things I wrote down from his book, all persons are owed the respect and dignity to reach the proper conclusion for themselves, uh, which I think is part of that um, reasoning piece. Mm-hmm. All creatures are made to know God. Everyone, however, must reach the destiny of their own accord with the freedom they possess as an image bearer. Um, so I think that gets to what you were asking. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, when, when you invoke the image of God, you are invoking the the dignity of human life, the dignity mm-hmm. of human beings. And so whether you do that with respect to gun violence or abortion or anything else, you're still going back to human beings have dignity because they're mm-hmm. made in the image of God. And this particular aspect of that means the government shouldn't, you know, coerce them. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Okay. The third reason, missiological or mission, or what is the church supposed to be doing while we are waiting for Jesus to show up? Way to use lots of small words. Love it. Um, the religious, the religious liberty or religious freedom, really, is a a help to that mission. Um, what the mission of the church, obviously, if you go to Matthew twenty-eight, the mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples. As you are going, to make disciples, um, baptizing them baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus told us to do, and he said, I'm with you always. Um, and while, while you are waiting for me to establish my reign, here's what, here's what your mission is, church. Um, and what Walker says is behind the mission of the church is an implied doctrine of religious liberty, and that religious liberty aids the church's mission. Uh, where, so he says uh, towards the end of the book, whether the church is proclaiming the gospel, receiving the gospel, or living out the gospel, religious liberty is a critical blueprint to its mission, um, because you you need the ability, you need liberty to do that. One to proclaim gospel, receive it, or live it out, and to have an environment where you can uh, invite people into that as well. I think that's one of the key pieces. If you are in a, um, he talks about a totalitarian state. The gospel could still flourish there, but there's no, there's nothing helpful there um, in regards to proclaiming gospel. It's that's a much harder place for people to be. Um, he talks about religious liberty speaks to the confidence the church has in the gospel. That's because the gospel is true. It requires neither force nor privilege. So the gospel calls for the the gospel calls for the church to be prophetically separate from the institutions of society that would subjugate it for ex- exploitative ends. 
Um, so one, religious liberty can be a help, but also, um, I, I like what he says here, religious liberty speaks to the confidence. So I don't need um, the government to enforce Christianity for Christianity oh. to prosper. Um, religious liberty says, no, we can go free with this, and you can think whatever you want. We can allow for there to be multiple, even, even the subtitle of the book is, is in, a, in a pluralistic age. We're so confident about the power of the gospel that we don't need um, Christianity to be coerced, to be enforced, to be the, the one and only uh, religion within our state. So we can allow for religious liberty um, because we're that confident. That I just found really convincing. Thank you for that explanation. <laughs> no, really, I, I, I think that's one of the places that the church really struggles is that we don't have that confidence or we forget that we should be confident. And so therefore, we want to somehow legislate it. Mm-hmm. And um, that was really helpful. Thank you. And th- that is always the, temp- the temptation we've talked about many times. Um, when you lose confidence in the gospel, you, you start to grab other tools. And one of the tools we're very aware of, especially if we sit there and watch news all day, is, oh, there's the, the tool of the state. We could use the tool of the state and then legislate um, Christian conviction or legislate, legislate the gospel or legislate somebody like that. And religious liberty, not just an enlightenment principle, but uh, I think a Christian principle that assumes confidence in the gospel. Mm. And I, I really like that way of thinking about it. Um, he says, religious liberty is a necessary component for the unhindered advance of the gospel. To be sure, the gospel finds fertile soil wherever the Spirit of God moves, even in authoritarian contexts. But there is no virtue in seeking out persecution. But the reality of um, reality of rejection does not nullify the need for religious freedom. It intensifies it. So I just... On, on either end, you could have authoritarian, you could say, oh, we're, we're going to be kind of shut out, but again, we're, we're that confident in the gospel that we don't, um, we're not concerned about that, we're not going to wish it on anybody, but then on the other end, even if we used, really it'd be authoritarian state on the other end, and we're going to use this to uh, drive belief in Christianity, um, I, just, I just like that it imbues imbues more imbues more confidence in the gospel which i think is good well it's interesting that uh, you end up if I, I don't know if this is completely true without religious liberty and i should say with at least at least with respect to religion you end up with an authoritative state one that says you can't practice christianity mm. or that you must practice christianity either one mm-hmm. is author- authoritarian Right. And you're in trouble on either side. Right. And uh, you're in trouble on either side because there is no religious liberty. That, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. And it strikes me that that's really what is underneath First Timothy 2. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. That there, one of the reasons we pray for our government is that there might be liberty for us to live out the Christian life and belief in the gospel uh, in a way that doesn't compromise dignity mm. and goes ahead and um, assumes or gives freedom. So that's almost like the religious liberty prayer verse. Well, it strikes me that way, and that's, uh, you know, as you're talking about it, that's the verse that came to mind, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
So those are the three, um, again, theological ideas to support religious liberty. Uh, I, I think they were helpful, again, because I had mainly viewed this as an enlightenment principle. Um, we're going we're gonna to value the individual. We're going to value the uh, freedom of conscience. And, and that was separate from my understanding of Imago Dei, my understanding of Jesus as the authority who can um, proclaim who is, who is right or wrong, ultimately, who, who has worshipped correctly or who is, connected, uh, who is correctly connected with God. Um, and I just, I just had those in different, almost different mm-hmm. buckets. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we're going to talk about religious liberty? Oh, okay, that's a political thing. <laughs> like, no, it's not a political thing. Um, it's, it's more than that, and it needs to be um, def- not just defended, um, but I think be one of your principles if you're going to be a Christian, especially in America. Um, it's not just because you're an American. I think it's because you're a Christian. So you have two reasons. Where a regular American, right, right, has only Enlightenment reasons, right, 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 okay, right. Um, so, how what what difference does this make? Do you think? I mean, it's it's fine to have a little chit chat about uh, religious freedom, and thankfully, religious freedom is alive and well. And and mm-hmm. in other words, we're not having this conversation because we're in panic about it, or right. because we're going to have we have impending doom around the corner. So if if that if we're not trying to raise money because of that. <laughs> Yeah, we're what, not doing that. Right. What? What? Well, just that, to encourage people on that front, um, I just heard from some of my legal podcasts. Uh, I don't think the um, religious liberty structure or or legal framework within our country has ever been stronger. Right. And that, I mean, you go back even thirty years, and it wasn't as strong as it is now. So there's, if someone's trying to raise money off you because we're going to lose religious liberty. Just please unfollow that thing. Unsubscribe. <laughs> Unsubscribe. Um, but I cut you off. So, so yeah, I just was asking what difference is it? If we're not trying to raise money, uh, don't unsubscribe, of course, from <laughs> Sitting on the Hill podcast. If we're not trying to raise money because we're worried about this disappearing, how, how does this apply to us and those who are listening? Mm. I think this should give you a posture with those you're trying to engage. Um, and think about, I'm a kingdom citizen. I have religious liberty. Um, can I use that for the mission of the church? Can I participate in the mission of the church while we wait for Jesus to return? We're supposed to be doing something. Uh, I, I live in a system where I am afforded the opportunity to convince someone of what I think, to persuade them, to engage them. There, and there's plenty of people to disagree with, but um, know that you're in that system now and um, not let's go grab levers of power to see if we can coerce other people to think what I think, but engage other people. Hey, the, you, you have uh, opportunity to engage um, different religions, different ideologies, different everything, and your job is to lovingly uh, build a relationship with them and uh, can explain the gospel to them. So, again, I'm just going to press in a little bit more than that um, because I think we have a lot of people in the church who are wringing their hands over religious liberty who are not engaged day by day as kingdom citizens Mm -hmm. on mission for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the ways that you say, you know, 
thank you to the Lord and to, I suppose, mm. to the founders for your religious liberty is to live on mission as a, somebody who's a kingdom citizen, of the, mm. you know, who belongs to Jesus and like get with the program. That would be one of the things I think you could do as an application of your religious liberty is right. don't squander it by wringing your hands because you watch too much news. Right. In other words, you can go ahead and love your neighbor next door and bite mm -hmm. them over a barbecue, and you can be on mission with freedom and right. liberty because that's the grace that you've received. Right. So, yeah, I mean. Or put another way, another way to be thankful for religious liberty is to use it. Bam. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe an action is just go walk across the street and say hi to a neighbor that you're very sure doesn't agree with you. Who cares? You, mm -hmm. you live in a system where in this pluralistic age, there are people who, who disagree. And we all live in the same system. And we have freedom um, to think and believe what we want because uh, I think we're all image bearers um, who have been given reason and uh, the ability to choose. And you can go choose to love them and to engage them. And man, just sitting on your couch being concerned you might lose the thing you're not even using is Ooh. pretty, that's almost despairing. <laughs> mm. Yeah, if that's, if that's you, don't write to Eric and comments. Right. Slight But But the other thing, you know, I think too, as far as application goes, it's just, it's okay that everyone doesn't agree. Yeah. And like, I think, like you said earlier, people have the right to be wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, we even have the right to be wrong. Mm -hmm. The right to be wrong is an important thing, and I think we should en en enable people to, to have the right to be wrong. Right. And talk with them as, you know, with that freedom. Right. So, I th that yeah, because some of us just get in such a knot that somebody's mistaken you know what? Right. Well, and, and that's, it's kind of a weird thought process, but that's kind of the, the whole underlying structure. Everyone has the right to be wrong. And you're thinking, but they, but they are wrong. And that's exactly what they think about you. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's, it's just kind of an interesting, um, yeah. in, in one, in one level, that's okay. Um, at, at an ultimate level, it's, it's not okay. And, and if you care mm -hmm. about them at an ultimate level, then love them and pray for them and, and be engage mission. them and mm -hmm. be on mission. Um, but, but that should be your action if they're wrong, not, oh, they, they're not allowed to be wrong. Okay. Mm -hmm. That, that's a different response than, oh no, I think they're wrong and I love them. So I'm going to pursue them. Th those are two very different, uh, actions. And you think about this with, uh, and this is probably another podcast, but with all the different kinds of things people can be wrong about. I mean, mm -hmm. this is not just, oh, there are some people who, belong to a different religion, maybe they're Baha'i or maybe they're uh, Muslim or something. That's not, that's not all. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. But, but, I mean, people have all kinds of different uh, ideologies and beliefs about gender or about marriage or about sexuality or about life and death or about abortion. Mm -hmm. And all of these things are governed in some respect by the same principle here, right. that people can be wrong about those things. And God's people who are citizens of another kingdom and ambassadors to this one can interact with them in a free way, mm -hmm. which I think is really, it's a blessing that some of the world now doesn't enjoy and right. most of the world throughout history has never enjoyed. Right. Yeah. 
it's a it's a novel application for sure and we can be thankful for it yeah so i think there's there there's some application um i think yeah engage if there if someone's coming to mind right now go engage them <laughs> if you if you don't have their number go knock on their door if you do have their number send them a text um we, we've been doing the the kingdom initiative at church and just getting um texted ideas every day and some of them are just really simple like hey go go talk to the neighbor that you know um, but you haven't really walked across the street and you haven't really engaged them or invite someone to the front yard or, or do whatever I'm sure in just walking through this conversation someone came to mind and I would say you use the religious liberty you have um, and and realize you live in a system unique in history really and um, use that uh, freedom to go love them and engage them and um, point them to what you know to be true um, of the of the coming king so do you have any other grilling questions for me scott oh uh, i i i'm gonna i'm gonna pull back now <laughs> okay, eric and good. give you the rest of the day off on that <laughs> thanks oh man well that's the end of this book report um uh, don't forget to subscribe on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and rate us if you find we're doing helpful Obviously, a review goes a long way to getting this to other people, share it with a friend. And if you do have questions um, or ideas or um, maybe comments that you think we should address on a future episode, send them to comment at cityonahillpodcast.com. We read those and would love um, to connect. And until next time, we look forward to the next conversation. Sorry.